All right, open to Ephesians chapter 4. As you guys uh, make your way there as another church growth introduction, I know I shared one two Sundays ago, and last Sunday I have another one for this morning. Uh, This one is from YouTube. I came across a, a guy on YouTube yesterday, actually, who is an online coach for pastors. That's his, that's his job. He's an online coach for pastors, specifically youth pastors. And he had, I noticed that he had a set of videos for youth pastors. And one of the videos was titled, How to Grow Your Youth Group to 700 in Three Months. First, I'm like, three months, that's, you know, it's long. You know, because I've come, I've came across other guys who promised a little bit more than that. But you know, it piqued my interest, okay, 700 in three, in three years. Um, he said he did it when he was a youth pastor before he got this full-time online YouTube job. Uh, so now he can teach, he can coach other pastors how to do it as well. So he, in his videos, he said that there are five important things that you need to do. He said, number one, you need to spend money on ads, on marketing and ads. He said, if you're a youth pastor... Just buckle up because you need, to be, you need to be willing to spend the majority of your youth ministry budget on advertisements. So he said, the first one is having a Facebook ad. Make sure you have a Facebook ad for your, for your church, for your youth group. Number two, show up where they're at, where the, where the kids are at. Show up where they're at. So he said, number one, guess where they're at today? Social media. So you make sure you show up on social media. Make sure you follow them on Instagram and, and whatever social media platform they're, they're on. Go to their school uh, and go to their games and go to their place. And he said, make sure you bring them food. Make sure you bring food. Show up where they're at so, so on social media and physically and give them food. So that's number two. Number three, he said, plan big monthly events. Back to the budget, he said, make sure your budget is robust because you're going to have to plan big monthly events. He said, make sure that you go big, build a skateboard park. He said, this is what he did. He said, um, we built a skateboard park in our, our building, youth building. I got a Christian rapper to come and uh, I, I invited all the kids and I gave them all McDonald's, uh, McDoubles and McChickens, he said. And, and also Taco Bell and s'mores. And we just skated and we just had a, a blast. So that's, that's number three. And you do that monthly, big events like that. Number four, you invite them to church on Sunday. So after the, you know, after the s'mores, you know, after the bonfire, you know, things are calming down. The fire's coming down, but the kids, you know, they're all sugared up with, with s'mores. He said, then you plug in your church. You plug in your Sunday. You invite them back. Uh, to come on Sunday. And, and they will come, they will come back to a Sunday if you, if you give them sticky sermon series, he said. Sticky sermon series. They have to be sticky and they have, it has to be a series, not, not too long, just short series that are sticky. And he gave some, and he gave some topics that he said, you know, the, the, the uh, teenagers today would love these topics, but then that, that's when I was like, ugh. That's kind of when I cringe a little bit because of the topics that he was choosing. So spend money on marketing, show up, show up where they're at, plan big monthly events, invite them to church on Sunday, and then number five, this is, this is 
just crazy. Number five, plant a youth group. Plant a youth group. If you do all four, then you'll get to 700 teenagers in three years. And he said, as we all know, and I, I didn't know this, but he said, as we all know, the rule is that one leader can only influence 150 teenagers. <laughs> I'm like, man, I, I overstaffed our, our youth ministry. <laughs> he said, one leader can only influence effectively 150 teenagers. So once you get to 700, that's just going to be too hard for your leaders. So it's time to not plant a church, but plant a youth group, he said. Just take what you've been doing, all the four things that, that brought 700 students. To just take that and, and buy a building somewhere else. Not a church, a building somewhere else. And just plug in and play. Just do the same thing there. And then that will get to 700 three years from now. And then they do the same thing. And that's what you do, he said. Now, at first, you know, it was kind of funny. But after many videos... Um, it's like a bad movie. You don't you want to stop watching it, but you're curious. You want to keep watching it. That's kind of how I felt. I I I saw it yesterday, and I even watched some this morning. Um, but it 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 was just sad to to um, watch that. Here's a guy who used to be a pastor, and now he's online, and he did this, and it worked for him, and now he's a, a an online pastor coach with all, with a thousands of subscribers on YouTube and he has a website he started a website called Church Growth Agency I think and um, and you can sign up there for for a membership of a low fee and he'll give you all the the secrets to grow your church or to grow your youth group from from really low to 703 years Uh, but then I, I I stepped back and I said I'm sure that will work if you do all that, I'm sure that will work. If I do that, I'm sure, I'm sure that will work. I'm sure we can get 700 students in here in three years if we do all that. If I stop studying, right, and I just recycle sticky sermons so I don't have to study as much, and I just show up where the kids are at, and I, and I go to the elders and say, hey, you know, the budget of a few thousand dollars a year, uh, you know, I want that 10 times higher next year because I'm going to plan big events. And if they say, yeah, it sounds good. You know, if we do all that, if I do all that, I'm sure we can get 700 kids. But students, is that how we grow a youth group? Is that what the Bible calls us to do? No. Okay. Absolutely no. That's not how we grow a youth group. And that's not what the Bible calls us to do. And again, I want, I want to make sure you guys, you guys don't misunderstand me because, you know, we've been in this series three times. Uh, this is the third Sunday. And I hope it's been a sticky <laughs> three-part series. And, and again, I don't want you guys to misunderstand me. There's nothing wrong with numerical growth. Okay, there's nothing wrong with numerical growth. It's not sinful to get more people in the church. It's not sinful to have more students in student ministry. As long as we're doing it, what? Biblically. Okay? Not gimmickly. Not, not, not in those ways, but biblically. But at the same time, the Bible is very clear, as you guys know by now, that the focus of any church, okay, and the focus of any youth group, youth ministry, student ministry, is the spiritual growth. Not, not so much the numerical growth, but the spiritual growth of God's people. 
That's why you don't see a lot of YouTubers with thousands of followers and sub subscribers on YouTube because they say, you know what, uh, my channel is not about numerical growth. My channel is about spiritual growth. You don't see that. That guy won't get a lot of clicks and like button and smash button on YouTube. No, because we're all about numerical growth. But the Bible is very clear that our job as a church, as a ministry, is for the spiritual growth of God's people. So let's look back to Ephesians chapter 4, and let's read this section again that we've been covering, starting in verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writes this, And he, that's Jesus Christ, gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and cared about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But we are to grow up speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So far, we've spent two days looking at the eight necessary components for church growth. Okay, eight necessary components for church growth. If you're looking at your handout, we covered uh, five of the eight already. In order for our church to grow, in order, in order for student ministry to grow spiritually, we need first equipping leaders. We talked about that two Sundays ago and serving members. We need to be doing our parts as leaders and, and as members. Number three, we need doctrinal unity. Again, the goal is not to make everybody look the same, talk the same, act the same, but the goal is to have everybody uh, have unity on doctrine, right? The core beliefs of of the Christian faith. Number four, we need spiritual maturity, becoming more like Jesus Christ. Number five, we need to become more like Christ, Christ-like conformity there at the end of verse 13. So today we'll finish this, uh, this short series by covering six, seven, and eight. Okay, number six, number seven, and number eight. The sixth one is biblical discernment. In order for any church, in order for student ministry, like our ministry, to grow spiritually, we need biblical discernment. Biblical discernment. Here's how I've defined biblical discernment. Okay, and you, get, you guys can just fill in the blanks there on your handout. Biblical discernment is the skill. Okay, it's a skill. You're not born with it. Okay, I'm not born with it. Uh, when you become a Christian, doesn't mean that you automatically be, become biblically discerning. It's a skill. It's a skill of separating. Okay, I'm getting that from the, the root word of that word discernment. It's to separate. 
It's, it's, a, it's a skill of separating two things, truth from error. It's the skill of separating truth from error based on knowing Scripture. Based on knowing Scripture. That means you're going to have to know your Bible. The more you know your Bible, the more you can separate truth from error because you know truth and you can spot error. And you develop that skill of separating truth from error. And as you grow up in your faith as a Christian, you develop this skill, this skill called biblical discernment. Now, students, uh, biblical discernment is very important. Okay, it's very important and necessary because of false teachers. Okay, especially, especially in, your, in your age. You know, I don't want you guys to, to hear biblical discernment and say, well, you know, that's for my dad and for my mom. You know, that's for pastors. That's for teachers. Um, no, it's important for you guys to develop the skill now because of false teachers. Look at what Paul says. Verse 14. As a result... Okay, as a result of, of those components we've covered so far, one through five, as a result, if those things are in place, here's the result. We are no longer to be children. Stop right there. The best translation for that word children is babies. Okay, there's another word for like children, like a little bit older. But this word is, is literally for infants, for babies. So Paul's point here is that if you're a Christian, you shouldn't stay a Christian baby all your life. A baby Christian. Okay, you, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't be content as a baby Christian. You should be what? He says, you should be growing up. You should go from a baby Christian to a mature Christian. Because if you stay a baby Christian, okay, let's say you get saved at this age, you know, you're 15, you're 17, and then maturity-wise, you, you stay the same. You know, you're not, you're not knowing Scripture Therefore, you can't separate truth from error. Therefore, you don't have biblical discernment. That's not developing in you as a young believer. Ten years from now, you know, you're 27, you're still the same. And then ten years from then, you'd be my age, 37, you're still the same. If that's you, if you stay as a baby Christian, look at what Paul says. You are going to be, verse 14, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. I love this analogy. If you stay as a baby Christian, you're like a boat in the sea. Okay, imagine yourself in a boat um, in Lake Pleasant, right? But your boat has no rudder. It has no, it has no propeller and you forgot your paddles, right? And then the hurricane from Florida that Nathan is about to experience starting tomorrow, it just turns, right? So it misses Nathan. So he's all bummed out about it. And it goes all the way to Arizona, and it goes to Lake Pleasant, right? So you have waves and winds from this hurricane. You're in the boat, you're rudderless, you're propellerless, and you're paddleless, right? So you want to go back there, but guess what? You're not going back there because the wind and the waves will take you back here, right? You have no control is the point. You have no control of where you go. And Paul's saying... That's like, that's, that's like what, that's what happens when you stay as a baby Christian and you're surrounded by false teachers and they're giving you their wind and their waves of false teaching. And if you stay as a baby Christian, you don't develop biblical discernment. You're just like that boat. You want to go there, but you can't go there. 
And listen, students, false teachers are everywhere today. They're everywhere today. Uh, they're in universities. They're in Christian schools. Uh, they're in your neighborhoods. They're in gated communities. Uh, they get in there too. They're, in, they're on social media. They're all over YouTube. All over YouTube. And sometimes they even slip into churches. They even slip into good churches like our church. And guess what? They'll show up not wearing a name tag that says, I'm Mr. False Teacher, I'm Miss False Teacher. They'll show up looking just like you. They'll show up looking just like your teacher. They'll show up with the Bible. That's one of the, that's one of the common signs of false teachers. They have a Bible and they use the Bible. You see, this is why you need biblical discernment even when you're 15. Because if you don't, you'll stay as a baby Christian. And when false teachers come in and they have their winds and their, their waves and they take you where they want to take you, and you, have, you don't even know. You have no control. And guess what? They're looking for Christians who don't have biblical discernment. They're preying on, on young Christians, baby Christians who can't separate truth from error because they don't know the Bible, because they don't know the truth. They're easy pickings to false teachers. And what is their goal? Their goal is to carry you away from the Bible. To carry you away from the Bible. Now, how do false teachers do that? Paul says, look at verse 14 again. Here's how false teachers do that. How they carry you away from the Bible. By the trickery of men, so they use trickery, and by craftiness in deceitful scheming. Okay, let, me, let me paraphrase that. False teachers will try to trick you and deceive you and carry you away from the Bible by doing two simple things. Okay? If you see these two things, one of, the, one, one of these two things, suspect that that person is a false teacher. They can do first, they can add to the Bible. Okay, false teachers like to add to the Bible. They, what I call, supplement. They supplement. It's like taking vitamins because you don't think that your, you know, your food pyramid gives you enough. So you, you supplement, right? Um, they supplement other things to the Bible. They add to the Bible. And what happens is that you end up believing that the Bible is not complete and it's not, what is it? Trustworthy, and it's not sufficient. It is not enough. The Bible's not enough. We have to supplement it. That's what they try to, try to get you to believe. So they either add to the Bible, right? And then secondly, they can distort the Bible. So addition and distortion. They either add to the Bible or distort the Bible. They either supplement other things to the Bible or they contradict what the Bible teaches. That's the, that's the distortion they contradict what the Bible teaches. And as a result, you end up believing that the Bible is not what? True. So addition makes you believe that the Bible is not enough. It's not sufficient. Uh, distortion will make you believe that the Bible is not true. It's not real. Now, what would be an example of addition to the Bible? To supplement to the Bible. What would be an addition, uh, uh, an example of that kind of false teaching? Yes, give me one. The whole idea of the health and wealth prosperity gospel is so you become a Christian, you'll, everything will go peachy for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Health and wealth and prosperity. Yeah, that's an addition to the Bible. Yes? Um, like, in order to be a Christian, you have to be 
yeah, addition to salvation. Yeah, trust Jesus Christ, but that's not enough. You also got to do all these, these things. Yeah. Another one is evolution. That's a big thing right now, even in Christian schools, Christian universities. Evolution is a type, an example of addition of, sup- of supplement to the Bible. They add scientific theories to the Bible in order to explain how God created everything. And, about, and God's saying, you guys don't need a supplement. I already, get, I already told you how I created everything. You can't supplement. You can't say that, well, right there in the middle, right there of those two words is actually thousands of years. Evolution is, is a big example of supplement, of addition. How about the second one? What would be an example of distortion of the Bible, contradicting what the Bible teaches? Yeah. Yeah, you're contradicting what the Bible teaches about God's, uh, Jesus Christ's death and resurrection. Yeah. Denying the deity of Christ. Denying the deity of Christ. Yeah, he's, a, he's the best example for us to follow. But he's not our savior. Right? Uh, how about this? Psychology. Psychology is a distortion. Okay? Psychology is a distortion. It contradicts what the Bible teaches. Psychology, they contradict what the Bible says about the cause of our sins and how sin affects us. Okay, that's the greatest distortion from psychology. They, they, they say that, no, the Bible, does not, that the Bible is not true. It, the, the cause of your sin is not because you're born a sinner. The cause of your sin is because you're a victim. So they, they, they distort that, and they also distort how, how sin affects us. Right? Instead of, instead of listening to the Bible and believing that, okay, yes, sin, sin affects everyone. It affects me. It affects people outside of me. And, and the solution is to repent, repent of that sin. I'm responsible for my sin. Uh, psychology doesn't do that. So that's what Paul's saying here. By the trickery of men, so they trick, they trick you, by the craftiness of their deceitful scheming, they either add to the Bible or they distort the Bible. When you see that, when you smell that, from the books you're reading, from the YouTube channel that you're watching, from, from the teacher you're listening to. Let's say your friend gives you a, a book. Oh, this book changed my life. You know, this guy wrote a book, you know, after he's been on YouTube for so many years, changed my life. Right? And then, okay, as a good friend, you read it. But if you smell addition and contradiction, okay, if you smell supplement and distortion that's a false teacher that's a false teacher but listen you won't be able to smell those things unless you have biblical discernment you can't now here's the question okay how do i develop biblical discernment how do i do that because i don't want to stay as a baby like paul's saying i don't want to go to lake pleasant and be tossed by wind and by waves and i can't i won't survive right how do I develop biblical discernment? Well, go to Acts 17. I, I think this is uh, um, short and simple. Short and simple is the goal. So if false teachers add and distort the Bible, how do we develop biblical discernment so we don't get sucked in? Acts 17, so just a quick uh, context here. Paul 
goes on a missionary trip. So the same Paul who wrote Ephesians. He goes on a missionary trip here and he visits a city called Berea. Okay, on his missionary journey. And look at what he finds out, he finds out about the people in that city. Starting in verse 10. The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. So, so what Paul does is he goes to the synagogues to teach, right, to preach, preach the gospel, expound on God's word. So that's what they do here as, as soon as they get there. Um, and now they, they're noticing, Paul's noticing that these people, the Bereans, are more noble-minded. You can say more biblically discerning than who? Than those in Thessalonica, the people they just visited. What made them biblically discerning? What made them more noble-minded than everybody else? Look at the next section of verse 11. Here, here are the steps. For they received the word with great eagerness, and they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things, what's the, these things? The things that they were hearing, the things that they were being taught, to see whether these things were so. So, students, here's a simple way of developing biblical discernment. You need to practice the two things that the Bereans did in verse 11. Number one, you must learn scripture eagerly. Okay, that's, that's what the word there that Paul used is eagerly. So that's the first step. You must learn Scripture eagerly. And the second step, still in verse 11, the second half, which I pointed out, you must examine everything, what? Carefully. So learn Scripture eagerly. So, so you're a student of the Bible all the time, right? You're always reading the Bible. You're always studying the Bible. If there's, if there's a camp, you, you're there because you want to learn. If, if there's a Sunday school, you're there, you're there because you want to learn. You go to Romans in main service and you don't say, ah, this is for my parents. You don't say that. You're eager to learn. That's the first step. That's what the Bereans did. And then the second step is that you must examine everything carefully. You don't just take a book from your friend because this guy, the author, is a big guy on YouTube and you just read it with no, with no examination. Just because it's a Christian curriculum, right? You, and you just say, ah, oh, you know what? You know, it, it should be good. All, everything should be good, right? It, it, just, it pains me when somebody tells me, oh, you just, you just, what? Eat the meat and spit the bones. I'm like, you know how many people have died? <laughs> Literally, you know, eating chicken wings because they choked on the bone? That's pretty serious to die from a chicken wing bone. But, that, but spiritually speaking, it's more serious. But we just kind of throw that out there. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm just eating the meat and spit out the bones. Man, if you don't see the bone because you lack biblical discernment, you will choke and you will die spiritually. And young people are saying that to me. Yeah, I, you know, I, I can spot the meat. I can see the bone. I take the meat. I spit out the bone. I'm biblically discerning. I'm like, wow. Okay. Really? Really? You, you, have, you have eagerly learned scripture, like the Bereans. And you have carefully examined everything. Wow. 
Students, this is very important. You need to develop biblical discernment because of false teachers, and they're everywhere today. And because of social media, they're everywhere, all the time. You can't be a baby. You need to grow up. So, in order, back to Ephesians 4. So, leave Acts 17, go back to Ephesians 4. In order for our church, and specifically student ministry, to grow spiritually, we need, number seven, comprehensive growth. Comprehensive growth. From verse 15. Paul says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. Okay, that's the, the main point of verse 17. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, Christ. So this verse, verse 15, is the contrast, or you can say the opposite of verse 14. Okay, Paul's point here is that instead of staying as a baby Christian, okay, lacking, lacking biblical discernment, being susceptible to false teachers, instead of staying that way, you should want to grow up, he says. You should want to grow up. Now, let me ask you guys some questions here. Just, just keep your eye on, on verse 15. Paul says that we're to grow up in what? What's that? In all things, in all aspects. This is the area, you can call this the area of our growth. We need to grow comprehensively. Okay? In all things, in all areas. You should, you should want to grow not just in the way you think. You should want to grow in the way you talk. That should be changing. In the way you behave, that should be changing in all areas of your life. You should want to grow not just here on Sunday when your friends are around, when you're at church, but you should also want to grow at home when no one's around. You should also want to grow on, on, on how you interact with your siblings. You should also want to grow at work if you work. And at school if you go to school. Comprehensive growth in all aspects, Paul says. Here's the second question. Look, look again at verse 15. Paul says that we're to grow up into who? Who's the model? Who's the goal? Yes. Christ, right? Into Him who is the head. So this person is the head. Who, who is He? Christ, Paul says. This is, you can call, the goal of our growth. We need to grow in Christ-likeness. Students, your greatest desire, okay, your greatest pursuit in life should not be money, should not be college, should not be marriage, should not be anything like that. It should be to become more and more like Jesus Christ. It should be all about Jesus Christ. That is the goal, Paul says, into Him who is the head, Christ. You should know Jesus Christ more, you should love Him more, and you should obey Him more. That's the greatest pursuit for a Christian. Yes, even at 15 or 18, that's the greatest pursuit in life. Look back again, verse, verse 15. Here's the next question. Paul says that we're to grow up how? Yes. In what? In every way. In every way. Yeah, that's the, in all aspects. That's the area of our, of our growth. It's, it's, it's uh, in every way. So, by speaking the truth in love. That's how we grow. By speaking the truth in love. This is the means of our growth. Okay? The area of our growth, everywhere. In all things, in all aspects. Comprehensive growth. The goal of our growth, Jesus Christ. Only Christ. Right? 
Now, the means of our growth, how do we grow? Paul says, by speaking the truth in love. This, now, this is very important. Um, there are three parts to this that I want to point out. Number one, you have to, in order to obey this, by speaking the truth in love, you have to do what? You have to talk to one another. Okay? You have to actually talk to one another. If Paul's saying, hey, the one way that you can grow spiritually and one way that God can use you to grow other people around you spiritually, you're going to have to talk. Okay, don't come to church and just sit in your seat and not talk to others. Because that would be a disobedience to this passage. Okay? You can't help other people grow if you don't talk to them and others can't help you grow unless they what? Talk to you. I mean, think about how many times have you grown spiritually because your parents talk to you, right? You come home, they notice that you're sad and they have something encouraging in their mind and then they give it to you and then five minutes later, you're out of that sad state and now you just grew, right? How many times do you come to D groups and your leaders say, say something to you or the book we're reading say something to you or your friend says something to you and an hour and a half later, you just grew? How did you grow? By speaking. And guess what? You're not going to be a help to your neighbor's spiritual growth if you do not talk. Okay, if you do not talk to one another. So that's the first aspect I want to point out. You have to talk to one another. Number two, you have to talk to one another about... About... About the truth. About the truth. It's right there, right? By speaking the truth. You have to talk about truth. Guys, yes, talk about things that you like and enjoy. That's fine. We had dinner with friends last night. We talked about watches and in, uh, in Taiwanese people, uh, you know, crowding up Anthem because of the plant. Like, sure, you can, t- you, can, you, can <laughs> you can cut that out, James. Cut that, <laughs> cut that recording out. Um, no, we love them. You know, they bring jobs to uh, Arizona. Uh, but you, you can talk about things. You can talk about things that you like, that you enjoy. It's not sinful to do that, but make sure that's not the only thing you talk about. Okay, make sure that's not the only thing you talk about. Talk about truth, Paul says. Talk about what you've been reading in your Bible. Talk about what you've been learning from Ephesians, from Romans. And talk about and share with your friends how God has been helping you in your life. How God has been encouraging you in your life. How God has been correcting you in your sin. How God has been growing you. All you have to do is share those things. So, you have to talk to one another. You have to talk to one another about truth. And lastly, you have to talk to one another about truth in... In what? In love. It's right there. By speaking the truth in what? In love. Not in pride. Not in, you know, oh, I'm the biblically discerning one in this D group. You know, I'm the only one who talks, so I'm just going to speak the truth in, in whatever. No, it's to speak the truth in love. Now, students, I know some of you are shy, and talking is hard to do. And I know that you find it very hard to turn normal conversations, you know, talking about the, the, the microchip plant, or talk about watches, it's hard for you to, to turn normal conversations like that into spiritual conversations. I, I get that. You know, at this age, shyness is up here, you know. 
Um, and some of us don't even want to say anything. You know, I get, I get that. That's the season of life that you're in right now, and it's difficult. It's even difficult to turn conversations into something spiritual. I get that. But listen, you push through all those challenges, okay? You push through all those challenges. You say, you know what? Yes, I am like this. You know what? I tend to be like this. But if I'm a Christian, since I'm a Christian, I am to push through all those challenges because I'm motivated by my love for other people. Is it scary to open your mouth and talk to the other person? Yeah, that's pretty scary. But should you do it? You should. Why? Because you are motivated by love. I love this other person. This person cannot grow. I can't do my part in the helping of this person's spiritual growth if I do not speak the truth in love. So I push through all that because I love this person, because I want this person to grow. That's the point here. We are to grow comprehensively and we help each other in that, in that part here that Paul's talking about in verse 15. Here's the last necessary component for church growth. Number eight. Here's the last one, number eight from verse 16. Shared responsibilities. Shared responsibilities. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. We all share those responsibilities and we cause the growth. We cause the spiritual growth. Now, this last verse, verse 16, uh, it's long and it's conf- it, can, it can be very confusing. Okay, let me read it to you. And you tell me if it's not long nor confusing. Verse 16, look at it. From whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Do you guys understand that? No, I, I didn't right away. I didn't. So here's what we need to do. Okay, here's the, this is the last verse. Um, in order to get the main idea, when, when something is long and confusing, ask that question. What is the main idea? And then you kind of get on the mode of discovering the main idea, right? One way to, to find the main idea when, something, when, when a verse is long like this and can be confusing is just finding three things. Subject and verb and object. We're just going to keep it simple. We're not going to get into like compliment, direct object, just... SVO, right? Subject, verb, object. So let's find that. Look at verse 16. We find those things, we get the main idea. We get the main idea, we know how to apply this, okay? Verse 16, from whom? Well, that's not subject, that's not verb, that's not object. This is just referring to Jesus Christ from verse 15, right? Paul's, Paul's just saying so far that the body is connected to the head, that the church is connected to Christ. Say, so from whom, look at the next phrase, the whole body, subject, verb, object, the whole body. I'll go with subject. Let's test drive it, right? It sounds like a subject, right? The whole body. So what I, what I do is I underline that, okay? The whole body, that's my subject. Uh, keep reading. Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part. Subject, verb, object. Neither. I'd probably leave it out for now. 
And it sounds complicated. You have the ing, right? Being and according, right? So I'm like, oh, that's probably not my main verb. You know, when it ends with ing, that's not really your main verb, right? Being fitted according to the proper working. So I'll just leave, it, leave that out. Skip that for now. We'll cover it later. Next word, causes. Subject, verb, object. We already have our subject. Verb or object? Verb, right? Causes. Okay, that's an action thing. Causes. So I underlined that. So, so far, I've underlined, I've underlined the whole body and also causes. Look at the next statement. The growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. What is that? The growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's that, could that be the last thing, which is object? Yeah, growth is the object. So I underline that too. The growth of the body. The growth of the body. So if you're looking at this long verse, that can be confusing. Now it's making sense because you have the subject, verb, object, and now you get the main idea. Here's the main idea. Verse 16 is saying that the church, right? The church, or the whole body, which is the church, the church, the whole body, causes the growth of the body. The body causes the growth of the body. The church causes the growth of the church. That's what it's saying. Now, what does that mean? That means that every single one of you, okay, if you're a Christian, every single one of you is responsible to cause the growth of everyone else around you. Does that make sense? That's what verse 16 means. Okay? The whole body causes the growth of the body. Okay. I, I get the main idea. What does it mean? Every single one of us here is responsible to help other people around us to grow. We cause each other's growth is the point. Now, if you're asking, okay, how do I do that? If I am responsible for your growth and I'm responsible for your growth, how do I do that? What do I do? What are my responsibilities? Well, Paul gives us two. Remember the two long ones that we skipped? Being fitted and according to? Those are our responsibilities. Look at it. Here's, here's your first responsibility. This is your uh, fill in the blank on your handout. I think it's letter A at the bottom. You have two responsibilities. Number one, you must connect to the body. Connect to the body. That's your, your first responsibility. Connect to the body. Look at, that, look at that, uh, that statement. Being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Now, if you have the NIV, your translation says, joined and held together by every supporting what? Ligament. Right? Mine says joint. Yours says ligament. Other translations... Um, especially the older ones, they even use the word um, tendon by what every joint supplies, by what every ligament supplies, or by what every tendon supplies. You know what the point is? Connectivity. I'm, f- I'm forgetting my, my anatomy and physiology. I don't remember, you know, muscle to muscle is what, and then muscle to bone is what, you know, tendon, ligament. But the point is connection. Right? The point is connection. The point is that Christians are to be connected to one another. You're to be connected to one another. Now, have you ever, have you ever seen a foot walking by itself detached from the body? <laughs> yeah, that's ridiculous. Right? 
a foot detached from the body, what will happen to the foot? It'll wither and die, right? What will happen to the body? Yeah, probably not die. Well, it depends where, you know, it's cut off. But um, the body won't be able to do what? Walk. Why is that? Because they just got disconnected. They just got disconnected. It's the same here when it comes to you students and the church. This is why I always tell you guys um, that before you look at a college, before you look at a university, anywhere away from your home, before you do that, I'm not saying don't do that. I'm saying before you do that, you look for a what? For a church. Any church? Because you can find any church anywhere. A healthy, good, biblical church. Right? Before you look at the schools and universities around the church. Why? Because connection is key. You can't just go to university and say, well, we have chapel on Wednesday. That's not church, students. Well, I can just live stream NCC. That's not church. You know what will happen to you? What will happen to you is just like the foot. Once you are disconnected, okay? Like Paul's saying here, being fitted and held together by every joint by every ligament by every by every uh, connection his point here is that you need to be connected to the body in order for you to cause the growth of the body you need to be number one connected number two you must be oh you must you must contribute that's the last fill in the blank so connect to the body number one number two contribute to the body contribute to the body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Here it is. According to the proper working of each individual part. Back to the body analogy. In order for your arms and your legs to grow physically, they need what? What do they need? What is it? Food. Do you, do you put food in your arms and your legs? No. Blood, right? Because in the blood is what? Nutrients and oxygen, right? So in order for your arms and your legs to, to grow, they need nutrients and oxygen, right? And they, nutrients and oxygen are carried in the blood, but they won't, the blood won't get there unless what works? The veins and what else? The heart, right? Because the heart what? Pumps the blood, right? Now... The, the heart can't just pump any blood. It has to pump blood that's full of oxygen and nutrients. So what has to work in order for oxygen and nutrients to be in the blood, which the heart pumps to the arms and the legs so that the legs and arms grow? Brain. The brain, yeah. The lungs, right? The lungs put the oxygen in the blood. The heart pumps the blood into your arms and your legs, and your legs and arms grow. You see, the, you see the body analogy here? Everything contributes. Everything contributes. Every part of the body contributes to the growth of the body. And it's the same, again, students, when it comes to your relationship with the church. You grow because other people are doing their part. Imagine showing up to D groups and your leader says, Yeah, you know, five kids, I just kind of got too busy. I uh, didn't read the chapter. I actually forgot my book, right? 
Imagine showing up here and I'm like, yeah, you know, last night just kind of got carried away with, uh, what is it, uh, binge watching. Um, so I, I don't have anything to teach you today. Would, would we cause each other to grow when we, when we don't do our part? Imagine coming here and no one talks to you. They don't speak and they don't speak the truth and they don't, and they don't speak the truth in love. Would you grow? No, not from that person. So every part of the body, every member of the body, according to the proper working of each individual part, and every connection, Paul says, all of that, those two things, connection and contribution, all those things will cause the church to grow, will cause everybody in this room, will cause student ministry to grow. And guess what? It is going to be much better, and it's going to be more pleasing to God than 700 people in here because we're giving them McChickens and McDoubles. We might be growing, you know, something else. Uh, the blood would be pumping cholesterol and stuff. That won't be good. That's what, that's what God wants. That's what Paul is talking about here. The church growth that we are after has to be the spiritual growth of one another. I hope that's encouraging to you guys. I hope it's a sticky sermon. Three parts. And I know it's hard. These commands are hard, especially speaking the truth in love. Um, but I hope we would push all through, all through those things because we want to contribute to the growth of one another. Uh, let's pray together. Dear Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its clarity. Thank you for the conviction that it brings to us. We pray that we wouldn't just ignore those things. We pray that we would seek grace from you so that we can obey. Because we want to love others. We want other people to grow. You want us to grow. And you have laid it out here how we can do that. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for using us for the growth of the body. That is humbling. That is very humbling. We used to be used for sinful things for the world. But now, having been saved by the gospel, we can now be used for the growth of the body. So I pray that we would just cherish this and obey this and give you all the glory. Thank you for our time in this section. We look forward to the next section in Ephesians. Bless these students, and may we glorify you this week in Jesus' name. Amen.